Welcome to What Does This Mean? A discussion of the readings that we're reading in the Lutheran Church. Today, we'll read the lessons that are assigned for All Saints Day, which is the day when the Christian Church remembers those who have died in the faith. We'll hear some beautiful and kind of strange texts about beasts and holy ones, the wisdom that comes from being in Christ, and God's preference for those who are losers. We're glad you joined us. Welcome to this week's podcast. I'm Pastor Bradley Schmeling. And I'm Pastor Lois Palmeyer. And I'm Pastor Javen Swanson. We're glad that you've joined us for this little discussion of Sunday readings. We're always glad to do this because one of us actually has to craft a sermon out of these texts. So this has turned out to be helpful for us. So we hope it's helpful for you, too, to get a little background and have a chance to think about these readings before you hear them in church. Our second season has been special because we're inviting guests to join us, which has been a lot of fun. And this week, we welcome Katie LeClaire. Katie Katie is our uh, Director of Youth and Family Faith Formation at Gloria Day Lutheran Church in St. Paul, Minnesota. She often says that she works with the teens, which is a much simpler title than the one we've given her. But welcome, Katie, and tell us a little bit about who you are. I am Katie. I live in South Minneapolis with my partner Kelly and our two rescue dogs, Romeo Oreo and Pastor Baxter. Baxter helps us lead the doggy play dates at Gloria Day. I actually am kind of comfortable behind the microphone. I was on the radio all four years at the University of Wisconsin Whitewater, WSUW 91.7 FM. So nice. wow, we miss a professional yeah, today. It's it's someone knows what they're doing. I had air check tapes in a bag that I saved for all those years, and I was so proud of them, and I lent them to somebody who lost them in a move, and I have no proof of it, but I was on the air. And I, I believe you. Well, Thank this you. is your chance to prove right, your over. broadcasting skills all over Excellent. again. Excellent. <laughs> um, tell us a little bit about the work you do at Gloria Day. Well, I, I do serve with uh, teens and their families, uh, curriculum development, uh, confirmation is grades 7 through 10. I get to arrange all the retreats and mission trips and fun things like we have Moonlight Madness coming up on November 8th. It's an all-night lockout. And wow, we have a lot of fun. It's, it's probably the most interesting job in the church. Well, that's great. We're really glad you're here. Let's jump into the readings for the day. Our first one is Daniel chapter 7, and it's kind of in two parts, verses 1 through 3 and 15 through 18. Pastor Lois, would you read? Yes. In the first year of King Belshazzar of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head as he lay in bed. Then he wrote down the dream. I, Daniel, saw in my vision by night 
the four winds of heaven stirring up the great sea. And four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. As for me, Daniel, my spirit was troubled within me, and the visions of my head terrified me. I approached one of the attendants to ask him the truth concerning all of this. So he said that he would disclose to me the interpretation of the matter. As for these four great beasts, four kings shall arise out of the earth. But the holy ones of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever and ever. When I was a wee little girl, I was raised in the Christian fundamentalism. And I was raised in the Assemblies of God. So Daniel 7 was a hallmark passage. Uh, We studied this as it related to the end times. And Mm. so I came with some thoughts and questions about this. If the listener were to read the entire chapter, it is quite stark and it's very vivid imagery and uh, it really does stir the imagination. But I was wondering in, in the tradition I grew up with, with calendars and charts and maps of people would try to decode what was on the the news and current events, and they would say, well, the the current military armor that's being made might look like some of these scenes depicted in the end times. I don't think Lutheranism embraces quite a literal interpretation, but I was wondering what uh, people have come to believe that some of these visions and imagery represent uh, as it relates to us today. I know that the Daniel passage is in this list of readings for all saints because it kind of fluctuates between all these kingdoms that emerge and crumble, come and go, kingdoms rise and fall, but the saints inherit all the good stuff and they emerge in the end as the victorious ones. In the creed we talk about, that we believe Jesus will come again and there'll be resurrected bodies. So I just wonder what people think about eschatology, like the study of last things as oh, it relates to— Oh, she's thrown in big words. Yeah. <laughs> it's, is this that or is this just past history? Well, we, and we should say eschatology is kind of the uh, thinking about the end times, like how everything is going to turn out, which in a way the Bible is all about— how everything is going to turn out. I think one of the challenges is that we have taken some of the pieces of the Bible that are metaphorical, or in this case, apocalyptic, and made them literal prophecies and interpretations. But I do think the writer of Daniel is trying to interpret the present times, but but his own. I think there's a lot of dystopian literature and movies, Hunger Games, Game of Thrones, Stranger Things, all these stories of evil, you know, lurking about to take over and how dismal life will be and how how horrible the the oppression is and these few conquerors, these few fighters who hold on to the truth and hold on to goodness and work for the good in spite of it all. And I always think of Daniel and Revelation and other apocalyptic things as very much like the way we would read Game of Thrones or, you know, play or see any of those kinds of movies. This this sense of watching on the big screen this 
power that seems so dark and so overwhelmingly bad and yet this sense of the um knowing in the end god is good god is going to win i'm glad you raised game of thrones because i watched it okay actually i watched all 8 seasons in about five weeks. Oh my wow. goodness! It was it was a total disaster. I like Daniel was having dreams about <laughs> the show, um, but you made me think about it in a different way. It's in some ways awful, and it's extraordinarily violent. And many of the characters in the show are just evil. Despicable. Yes, yes. But within the story are these narratives of goodness or these characters who look weak and insignificant and don't have the trappings of power. They're in marginal places. They're on the edges of the story. But they, in fact, are the ones that shift the narrative and change the story through their acts of courage. Can I ask you, Katie? So you grew up in Christian fundamentalism and had, and learned one kind of interpretation of passages like this. What do you do with this passage today yourself? Right. I was thinking of that because when we in confirmation have uh, through the Bible year and we have maybe 14 weeks to break apart the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation, there is an entire night that we spend on Revelation and reinterpreting some of especially the the minor prophets with teenagers is so fun because they're already used to like the graphic novel format or major motion pictures, right? The, the imagery. And I like to say in a passage like this, especially if I'm working with a teenager and saying, you're going to have to read the whole book or at least the first couple chapters and find out who Daniel was in the background of his story. He was deported. He was living without his people. And if you can put yourself in his shoes, it helps you kind of enter the story in a different way. So all of these big flashy images, I would, I like to say, don't run from them and don't ignore them. Immerse yourself in the context of what the story is. And even if you don't know world history or the geography of where all these places were, enter the story as God usually choosing the misfit and the weakling and like Pastor Bradley said, the loser, the obscure, because so many adolescents are feeling misfit or they don't fit in or they might even be what you consider popular, but they don't know um, their place in the world and say, okay, God has you as part of this story, to do great and powerful things through prayer, through visions, paying attention to where the Spirit is leading you. And so the overall picture is very easy to get into. We feel uh, anxiety and attention in the United States of America right now. We feel it every single day. The headlines and the news bring us into a situation of hopelessness. And as the church, the only good answer we have is to call people out of the daily trap of the headlines and the anxiety to say, we call each other as a people into the hope of Jesus coming, whatever that looks like. If it's in bodily form or if it's in a in a new creation, we have to call each other to the hope of saying, believe in the vision of God's goodness and God's triumph and victory 
um, for every person that's going to look different. But it's it's encouraging to me to say, come be a part of the church, come hear the songs, sing the songs, enter the story, even if it is so mysterious and weird. Listen to the saints that were listen to your grandparents, listen to the people that sit behind you and beside you in the pews. They are telling the story and. There is weird stuff in our lives. There's really weird things that happen, unexplainable things in medicine and science. And maybe that's what Daniel was facing. He didn't know. He didn't have categories for all these things. They didn't have indoor plumbing. So I just think <laughs> well, well, the world must have been very different. And to not run away from it is the biggest thing for me, to read it and wrestle with it and ask your peers and ancestors. Let's take a little break and we'll come back with the next reading. Welcome back. Our second reading is from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 1, verses 11 through 23. In Christ, we have also obtained an inheritance, having been destined according to the purpose of him who accomplishes all things according to his counsel and will, so that we, who were the first to set our hope on Christ, might live for the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you had heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and had believed in him, were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. This is the pledge of our inheritance toward redemption as God's own people to the praise of his glory. I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, and for this reason... I do not cease to give thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him, so that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe, according to the work of his great power? God put this power to work in Christ when he raised from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he has put all things under his feet and has made him the head over all things for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. In confirmation, one of the things we do besides just decoding and, and deciphering the scriptures as we talk about application. And I thought I would ask a more personal question for the three of you. It, and I'll give you a choice because in confirmation, we also say, I'm not just going to have you answer one question. So this this prayer, um, is there someone in your life that you found yourself over all over your years of ministry 
praying this prayer for? Or can you think of someone in your life who you're pretty sure prayed this prayer over you as you grew in your faith? And I would ask this, like if we were in a small group setting and these are big Christian words, they're big thoughts and concepts. And if someone had problems deciphering it or kind of understanding, I might help people make sense of it by saying, oh, just take it in total. Who in the beat of your heart would you ever pray something for someone to know the power of God's riches and to know the inheritance of the saints? Does anybody have anybody that they think of that you've prayed for these words or that you pretty sure prayed these words for you? I do have a person that was in the congregation I first served in Illinois, and she had just gone through awful things in her life, terrible um, dysfunction in her family when she grew up and then a, a really rough marriage. And she was frightened all the time of everything. And I remember wanting her to just have the confidence that comes in God's love for her, that sense of saying, Christ has conquered Death has no more dominion over you. That, you know, that whole sense of this Ephesians passage is like the counter to the Daniel passage. To me, it's it's God is reigning. God will reign. God already reigns. And you've already been claimed. You've already been marked for God's love. And to just, I prayed for her so, so much that she would have the peace that would come from knowing she was safe in God's love, no matter what. Mm-hmm. I think I've talked with countless people who really don't believe that they're part of God's world, that they're somehow outsiders, whether it's because something they did that they just cannot forgive themselves for or let go of, or just from a deep feeling that they're not a part and somehow so broken. And I have so many times prayed for people just to trust that you've been claimed you've you're you're part of it this is done it's it's over you're in there is no more in and out you know that i i hate when we fall into those categories of insider and outsider um because i don't think that's part of how it all ends in our last little segment. We talk about where does it all go, and I think it all goes with God gathering us. So to, for praying for people to trust that you're really lo- – not just loved but lovable, that there is so much in you that is delightful and good and brings something to the world that nobody else can. I've been thinking a lot lately about the future of the church and thinking about what the church is going to be like in 30 years and um, when I'm nearing retirement and reading about the kind of precipitous decline of the mainline Protestant churches. And and I think this is my prayer for the church, just that I, I mean, I really believe this stuff. <laughs> I think all of us know what it's like to feel crushed and and to need to find resurrection in the wake of that. And and all of us have had some experience of finding resurrection actually after a moment of despair. And I think that is a pattern for us, um, a pattern for the world that we need to cling to 
every day. And I think that's kind of the heart of the Christian story. And I feel like that's sort of getting lost in this decline of the church. We're all sort of moving toward a self-help kind of world where we can get everything we need on our own and we actually don't need there's an app for that. Yeah, yeah, like we actually don't need this church thing to mm-hmm. find what we need. And I just really disagree. And um, and so this is my prayer for the church, just that the whole that the whole church would would realize what is the immeasurable greatness of God's power for us who believe. And I feel really sad that so many of my own peers have sort of drifted away from whatever faith they were raised with. And my prayer is that that people will find their way back to this to this story. Let's pause there and take a little break. Welcome back. Our gospel reading is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6, verses 20 through 31. Then Jesus looked up at his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you revile you, and defame you on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for surely your reward is great in heaven, for that is what their ancestors did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry." Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all speak well of you, for that is what their ancestors did to the false prophets. But I say to you that listen, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you. And if anyone takes away your goods, do not ask for them again. Do to others as you would have them do to you. This is an interesting reading for all saints to me, uh, but I kind of get it. I was looking at the kind of the sweet by and by language of if you're poor, someday you're going to get the kingdom. Or if you're hungry, you're going to get fed. And it's kind of this far off language. And I personally, I'm kind of a fire and brimstone person. So I love the woe stuff. It gets excluded in, in the other reading of the Beatitudes. So I like the warnings and the the judgment. That's fine with me. Because this good. passage also appears in Matthew, yep. the Gospel of Matthew, yep. but without the woes. Yeah, there it's was a just, copy editor. Right, just the mm. blessed are you. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Matthew's maybe nicer. Ma- well, maybe his memory's different. He just sure. focuses on what he needed to hear. Right. You know, I'm with Luke. But, um, 
But I was wondering, um, we have a, a big emphasis on being involved it, almost in an activistic sense in our legislature and working for social justice and working for peace. It's part of our baptismal promises. And in this passage, it's kind of transactional. If you're poor, you'll you'll be filled. Um, if you're rich, you're going to be reviled. What place is there in the life of a believer to work for justice and peace if ah, the poor are going to get what what's coming to them in a in a beautiful sense someday? They're all, you're always going to have poor people, so let's just uh, take care of ourselves. What place is there uh, to work for social justice? One of the things that the Beatitudes do is point us where God is focused, where God is paying attention and who God is looking out for. And I don't hear the Beatitudes as saying, eh, doesn't matter right now. You're you're going to get your reward in the future. So, yeah, just, you know, deal with your poverty or uh, whatever. I see it as directing the attention of the people of God to those who are most often excluded. And I think the Beatitudes goes through the list of what we in the world and sometimes now those in politics say are the losers, the ones who are don't have power, who can't be successful or accomplish anything. So I would say the Beatitudes are exactly the thing that call us to social action and put us to work in the world. We should say Beatitudes is just a fancy church word. It's the way you would translate the word blessed are you. So Beatitudes are those lists of blessings in Scripture. Yeah, and I think, Pastor Bradley, to your point, the last part of this passage, after the blessings and woes, that whole, but I say to you that, listen, love your enemies, do good to those who hate. There's this, it's sort of a long list of imperatives then. Um, So it's like Luke has shown us where God is focused by giving us this list of the people who, in God's eyes, are blessed, and then turns to us and says, therefore, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, do to others as you would have them do to you. It's this long list of like, there is action required. Once we know where God is focused, that has implications for all of us who claim to be following the way of God. I love that this is appointed on All Saints Sunday, which is the Sunday when we tend to remember those who were the the great saints. Pillars. Or the, yeah, those who followed well. And even when we remember those who've died, we remember the good stuff. But this passage kind of serves as a little counterpoint to say, you know, it's not about who's the greatest, even in faith that God is attending to the faithful who are doubting, who are struggling, who are... Weeping. Yeah, weeping, mourning their ability to make change in the world, you know, um, who are despairing about our actual power to make the kind of changes that we that we want to make. And it's ironic that we've turn sainthood in the church back into kind of this ladder of glory, like the better you are, the closer to heaven you are. For young people today, I think of the the protest marches for gun violence or 
you know, enacting gun safety legislation or the climate marches on Fridays that are happening now. I kind of picture that as kids get out their crayons and markers and white pieces of paper and posters, and they're making um, these statements of woe to their leaders and their legislators to say woe to you. And it's it's our own way of entering God's justice to say, I'm, I'm speaking truth to power, and I'm not going to stand by. And I, I can make a difference if we all come together. And I kind of see a little bit of that here. There's a place for the, the angst and the protest to come up and say, you know, we've got to we've got to speak. We've got to act out. So, we are so glad that you've joined us for today. We are interested in hearing what you have to say about these readings. So, drop us a note at pastors at gloriadaysaintpaul.org. And thank you especially to Katie LeClaire for being with us today. Thank you also to Paul Friesen Carper for providing the music for us and to Marshall Saunders of Minnesota Podcasting for producing these podcasts and for always helping us to sound better than we really are. Join us for worship every Sunday at either 8.15 or 10.45 with Sunday School for All Ages at 9.30. Thank you so much for joining us. Know that God is with you, God loves you, and God will provide what you need for today. This has been What Does This Mean? A podcast created by Gloria Day Lutheran Church in St. Paul, Minnesota. You can find Gloria Day online at www.gloriadaystpaul.org. This podcast has been produced by Minnesota Podcasting. And they can be found online at www.mnpodcasting.com. 